if you're interested in meeting me, would love for you to just come down and, uh, and get to, to meet you. You can also go to the lobby and stop by the Connect table um, and fill out a Connect card, get information about the church, or you can go to EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. That's EmmausKC.com forward slash connect. Or go to the QR code that's behind me. It'll take you to the same place. There you can get a digital connect card. You can learn more about our church. You can find out uh, different ways that you can get plugged in, including our membership weekend, which is coming up four weeks from today, Sunday, October 2nd, um, 8 a.m. until 10.15. Uh, child care will be provided. Uh, and this is for anyone who's interested in what it would look like to become a member at Emmaus Church. So if you know you want to become a member, this is your first step into that process. If you're interested in what that would look like, this is your first step into that process as well. And so come join us for that. Uh, you'd be out of that in time to come into this service. And so you can apply by going to um, the QR code or MayusKC.com forward slash connect as well. Um, hey, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, I shared with you all um, just kind of about um, a financial update on the church and just kind of how 2022 was a tough year for us for various reasons, inflation, um, the economy in, in various ways, but, but also the fact that we just have sent out so many of our people this year and, and sent out good givers. And we talked about how that affects giving and that the summer particularly was low. Um, and, and just kind of put it in perspective for you, like um, last year we were bringing in about 28000 a month for our church's budget. Um, this year we've been bringing in around 24000 a month, which is kind of what we've done an adjusted budget on. Uh, and as of um, July the 24th, so that was the Sunday I stood here and mentioned this to you, as of July the 24th, for the month of July, we had only brought in about 11000 that month. And we had already been kind of going into savings throughout this year. And so we just said, hey, would you pray with us and would you consider giving? And, and over the course of the next nine days, um, you gave over $20,000 more to than that original eleven to make it actually our highest giving month in like over a year. And so um, I don't want to say, hey, would you pray with us for God's provision? And then just to skip past it, right? As if, well, yeah, he provided, you know, great. We want to celebrate that and go, thank you, God, for your provision in that. Um, and then say, we also recognize that could have been a one-month thing, all right? It could be that we don't necessarily expect it to stay at that place, but just keep praying with us for the Lord's provision. I know there were a couple handfuls of um, new givers that began giving in the month of July after that announcement. Um, some of you have been visiting with us. It seems like maybe you're like, this might be where we want to be, and you began giving. And some of our members just gave extra. They gave double tithe and things like that over the course of the month to kind of bless. And so thank you for that. And the Lord's very gracious to do that. So we just want to celebrate him. And then we also want to say that the other thing we said was because of sending so many people, that costs us the resource of finances. It also costs us the resource of volunteers, right? That volunteers go out and, and they leave to go do ministry elsewhere and, and, and that that's it. And we ask you to pray about and to consider serving. If, you've, if you are a covenant member and you've not been serving since COVID or in recent months to kind of replug back into that I wish I had a phenomenal report to give you. And we had 35 new volunteers. I don't know, right? I, I don't think we have on that. Um, keep praying, keep volunteering, right, with that. But here's what I do want to do today. I want us to celebrate volunteers today, right? Th today's Promotion Sunday. And so uh, what that means is for all of our children who, like, they've, um, gone on to a, new, to a new grade, some of them that means they're going to a new class. And so they were in class, uh, one class, now they're in the next class. And so this is Promotion Sunday for us. But it's also a day that we want to volunteer or celebrate our kids' volunteers. 
And so if you noticed in the lobby when you came in, there were um, donuts there, and there were celebration for them. There were gift cards, handwritten letters to all of our kids' volunteers from our kids' leadership, thanking them for serving, and a small gift that went with that to say thank you for serving as well. We just want to celebrate that because uh, our kids' volunteers are a huge part of our mission here at Emmaus. I mean, we exist to, declare, to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. And every Sunday, our kids' volunteers are declaring and displaying the gospel to our children. Right? And as a father, I'm super um, thankful for that. I'm deeply glad in that. And as a pastor who's gotten to see a lot of children from this church go through the process of salvation and baptism, I'm thankful that we have leaders who are, uh, who are investing in them with the gospel. Um, and so thank you, volunteers. If you're a kids volunteer, would you raise your hand for us so that we can see you? Raise it high. Don't be shy. All right. Thank you for serving our kids. I want to pray for you in a moment. If you are a kids volunteer and you've not gotten a donut or your card, <coughs> excuse me, or your card, make sure you stop in the lobby afterwards and pick that up. Sorry, I did not. I wanted a donut. I should not eat donuts. So I went to the coffee shop, got a protein Powerball. They're a lot drier than donuts on the throat. So I feel like that I'm trying to be healthy, and now I might die of choking. I'm not sure, all right? Um, but you don't be healthy. Go get a donut, all right? Just live up life. You only live once. Go do it and, uh, and get a donut. If you are not a volunteer with Emmaus Kids, or even if you're just a parent, um, what, here's what we'd love for you to do. We'd love for you to go by um, out there at the bar that's by the windows. Um, there are some donuts that you can grab for yourself, and there's also a survey card. That survey card is going to ask questions about whether or not you're interested in volunteering. And so, you know, you can do that. But it's also going to ask questions about do you utilize Emmaus Kids, some things that you might be looking for in Emmaus Kids. It's just kind of helping our kids' team. So go by, pick up a card, grab some donuts. Just so you know, it's kind of like those cheap vacations where you go, it's really cheap, but then you have to sit through a three-hour interview, you know, about buying a timeshare or something like that, you know. So, so they're going to ask you to serve, get you so weigh your, weigh your chances, but seriously, it would help us, right? I'm joking. They won't razz you that hard. Um, Julie Masson might, but the rest will be very kind to you. And they would love to help you walk through that process of, um, of just helping us get information and then you getting donuts. But thank you, volunteers. We love you all. Thanks for what you do. Let me pray for you and pray for us as we get into this word today. Jesus, thank you for um, just the chance to gather and to worship and to sing. Gosh. And to sing straight from Scripture in our first song, Psalm 3, that we should not be afraid for you are a hedge of protection around us to lift our heads high, trusting your protection. Father, to, to sing about the fact that our faith is secure in you, right? that your blood and your righteousness has purchased our salvation, and there is no threat to that today. Because of faith in Christ, we are, we are secure in your redemption, your forgiveness of us. Thank you. What a joy to sing a song about toiling with the redeemed that life is a struggle and that it is hard and that there's suffering and that there's fear and that there's doubt and that there's worry and that sometimes it just feels like we're fighting to make it another day in our faith. And that Christians throughout all of history have toiled, they've fought in this same fight that we're fighting to walk in faith. And in the midst of all of our struggle, you have remained faithful. So thank you for the joy to get to seeing these things to you and about you with each other to get to confess our sins and to get into the scriptures and hear your word and in a moment to take communion together. Father, I thank you for our volunteers, um, particularly for kids, 
who give up um, hours um, each month to go sit in classrooms and teach um, the scriptures and read Bible stories and play games and color sheets who give themselves to declare and to display the gospel to our children? Would you give them endurance and strength for another season? Father, would you save many and all of our children that come through Emmaus? May they um, this semester draw nearer to you to know your grace and your love and to believe in you. And Father, we need to hear from you in this word. We thank you for this word. Spirit, would you speak it to our hearts? Would you give us comfort and encouragement and conviction? Preach a better sermon than I prepared. We need to hear from you today. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We'll be done with Acts in a couple months, right before Advent. And we're journeying through this, and in today's passage, we get this very awkward transition in between the last two verses of our passage. We're going to be in chapter 18, verses 1 through 23. Chapter 22 ends the second missionary journey of Paul. Chapter 20, or verse 23 begins the third missionary journey. So we get a period, and then he's just off again on his journey, almost as if Luke's just making the point, and this is just what we do. This is what we do. We share the gospel, we come back, we go out and we share the gospel again. Last week we saw Luke in, or excuse me, we saw Paul in Athens and as he's proclaiming the gospel in Athens there at Mars Hill as he's reasoning and he's, he's pointing to creation and he's pointing to philosophies and he's pointing to scripture and he's drawing forth and reason for um, those who are in Athens to believe on the resurrected Christ as their savior. The text ended the same way that many of the texts have throughout the book of Acts, in the same way that most of our conversations end when we're sharing the gospel. Some believed and some didn't. We're going to see that again in this text today. Paul leaves Athens and he heads to Corinth. And the city of Corinth is a remarkable city for many reasons, um, but primarily it's remarkably immoral. Right? Perhaps you could call it sin city of their day. Right? It's the city where to be called a Corinthian woman is slang for prostitute. Right? It's a city rampant with immorality. And into this city, Paul shows up to proclaim the gospel. When he shows up, we're going to see that, that um, Silas and that Timothy are not with him. He's by himself. The Lord provides for him. Right? As we go through this, we're going to break it apart. We're going to do four to five verses at a time throughout this. And we're going to see five ways that God provides for his servant. Right, five ways that God provides for his servant, Paul. Let's begin chapter 18, verses one through four. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul shows up, he's by himself. But the first thing that we see the Lord provide for him is friends. God provides friends for his servant. Now this might seem small, but Aquila and Priscilla are not small in Paul's life. Right, when he shows up and he's by himself, the Lord has already provided 
two people, a married couple. We don't get to see very many married couples in the New Testament. A married couple who shows up from Rome. He's a Jew. They're believers of Christ, and they've now shown up here, and Paul has a commonality with them. They're both tent makers, right? Or, or perhaps more broad, they're, they're leather workers. They sew leather together. They make things out of leather. This is how Paul pays for his life. This is how they provide for their life, and, and they find commonality, and they begin to work with each other, and Paul begins to live with them and serve with them, and they become partners, and they become friends. And it's interesting to me that they come to Corinth because of persecution. They've been in Rome, and in Rome, the text here tells us that the emperor had cast all the Jews out. But history would tell us that the emperor did this because there's great uprising over this man named Christus, Christ, right? That there's an uprising that's taking place throughout Rome and the emperor casts them out, sends them away and this very persecution or this very making of them refugees, right? Sending them out is what God used to move them exactly where he wanted them for the sake of his mission and his servant, Paul. This is not the first time we've seen this happen in the book of Acts. If you remember early on, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And some time passes, and they've not left Jerusalem. And so persecution breaks out. And when persecution breaks out, what does it, hap- what does it cause to happen? The church leaves. Christians leave, and they go into the cities and the countryside into other communities. And as they go, the text says, and they shared the gospel. Right? This is what we see God do over and over and over again is he orchestrates the details of the world's scene so that his mission goes forth. We see him do that here. He brings Paul friends when he needs them. At the end of this passage, they sail on from Corinth. Aquila and Priscilla go with him. Later in Romans chapter 16, Paul writes about these friends, and he says, they risked their necks for me. They're that type of friend. They sacrificed for him. They gave of themselves for him. They put themselves at risk for his sake. These are good friends of his. So the Lord sees him and he provides for him. Verses five through eight. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. God provided a friend for his servant, and now we see God provide freedom for his servant. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The text at the end of just the the verses we read just before this, Paul has been reasoning in the synagogue every week. He's going through it like he did in Athens, like he's done in every other city. I'm reasoning about the resurrected Christ. He's doing that again here. Now his friends, Timothy and Silas, show up. So he's got Aquila, he's got Priscilla, he's got Timothy, he's got Silas, but he's very busy teaching the word. He's working, making tents during the day, and then he goes in and he preaches and he teaches and he reasons for the gospel. This is his life that's unfolding. And it says that as he's doing this, some believe But then opposition rises up. And if you remember, everywhere we've gone within this text, we've said that wherever the community of God goes on mission, opposition meets them there. Right? It meets them here. 
opposition comes and they, they oppose the gospel and they revile him. So there's hatred, there's, there's anger, they're, they're fighting back against him. And then this begins to happen, and this is happening in the synagogue. Paul doesn't just beat his head against the wall and, and stay there and try to drive the gospel down their throat. He actually takes a different approach. And I think it's an approach that he takes rooted in the freedom he has with God's, concerning God's sovereignty over salvation. That he can present the gospel to them, and when they reject it, he's able to walk away and go, I've been faithful. Now, now hear me, because that can sound like very un, um, like uncaring, right? I, I don't think it's that. Right? Paul deeply cares about them believing. He longs for them to believe. There's a time in Scripture when he even says, if I could give my own salvation so that you would believe, I would. Right? That's probably more caring than most of us are about the lost. Right? He would give up his own salvation so that those who do not believe would believe. But in the midst of this deep passion and zeal for an unbeliever to become a believer in Jesus, he still recognizes that at the end of the day, if he's proclaimed the gospel, he's been faithful and he can walk away, and their blood is on their head, not his. And so he dusts off his garment. He shakes out the dust. It's a symbolic act of this covenant is broken. Your covenant with God, Jews, is broken, for you are not believing in the Messiah, and my requirement to continue sharing here is, is, is broken. I don't have to do this. And he says, I'm going to the Gentiles. So he tries to share with the Jews. They reject, and he leaves in freedom of conscience because he's been faithful. And he walks out the door, and apparently there's this guy named Titius Justus who says, hey, Paul, like, if you're not going to preach here, you're welcome to preach in my house. Like, I'll let you use my house as a place to preach the gospel to people. Paul's like, that sounds great. How far is it? He goes, it's right next door, which is a very awkward scene. That Paul walks out the door of the synagogue, at least this is in my mind, he walks out the door, shakes the dust off, and goes, and walks right in the next door, right? And then it's like they gather together, and the synagogue's gathering for their teaching, and Paul's next door teaching his teaching, and I almost just love God's humor right here, that the Jews would reject the gospel, but God was not far off from them, right? And the gospel is close, so close that we actually see Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his entire family become believers in Jesus. Right, the man who runs the synagogue, right? It, the lead pastor, if you will, of the congregation. He becomes a believer in Jesus and his entire family. And you know what we see in just a few moments? He's no longer the ruler of the synagogue. It looks like it cost him everything. It cost him his social status. It cost him his job. They're outed by their friends. And now he's gathering with justice and with Paul at this house. And the text tells us, and many come to faith. Many. I long for years when we'll have many come to faith. So this is what's taking place. God has provided friends for Paul. Now he's provided freedom for Paul in the sharing of the gospel. Overall, everything looks like it's going pretty well. I mean... Yes, there's been some opposition and some reviling, and he's not allowed to be in the synagogue, but God's provided a new place. He's provided new friends. He's provided many coming to faith. The synagogue ruler has come to faith with his household. Timothy and Silas are here. 
Priscilla and Aquila are here. Like, this looks to be going really well. Like, this should be, if Paul's the missionary sent out by the church, like, he's sending the newsletter back this month. The newsletter is one of those of, hey, yeah, there have been some hard things, but let me tell you about all the wonderful things that are happening. But then verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. It's an interesting timing of this word from the Lord because everything appears to be going well. And yet in the midst of it, apparently Paul's a little weary, a little tired, a little lonely, a little unsure, Losing heart, afraid. Because God shows up to him and gives him three commands and three promises. And they're telling. God says, Paul, don't be afraid. Why does God tell you to be afraid, not to be afraid if you're not afraid? Don't be afraid. Hey, Paul, keep telling people about me. Hey, Paul, don't be silent. That's two commands. That's one command. Those two are the same. It's kind of a re-emphasis. Hey, don't stop talking. Keep talking. Keep talking about me. Don't be afraid. Keep talking about me. Don't be silent. Why would God tell Paul that unless Paul's in a place of fear, unless there's a place of timidity, unless there's a place of perhaps he's losing heart? Why am I doing this? Does this even making a difference? I get so much rejection. Why keep going? And then God gives him three promises that are beautiful. He says, I am with you. I am with you. No one will attack you to harm you. I have many people in this city. Three things Paul needed to hear. I'm with you. You're not alone, Paul. I'm I'm with you. I haven't left you. You might feel alone today, but you're not alone. I'm right with you. I see you. I'm talking to you about what you're feeling inside, Paul. I'm talking to you about your fears. I'm here with you. I'm with you. I'll stay with you. No one will attack you to harm you. We're about to see him actually get attacked. God's promise isn't that the suffering won't come or hardship, but he's like, I'm in control of the outcome of it. I won't let them harm you here. And also, Paul, I have many people in this city. We don't know exactly what he means by many people in the city here, what what he's referring to. What people is he talking about? But perhaps the people that he's talking about, he's just like, hey, there's many believers in the city. You're not alone, Paul. Look at all the many who have come to faith. Like, you're a part of a community. There's many here. It's going to be okay. Perhaps he's referring to, hey, there are many in the city who have still yet to hear and believe, but they're mine. I've named them before the foundation of the world. They will be saved. Stay and share. Probably so. And perhaps what he means is there's a lot of people in this city, and I control the outcome. Because we're actually about to see in a moment a man named Galileo 
who God uses to actually accomplish the promise he's giving of protection. Perhaps God's saying, I'm sovereign over Corinth. It looks immoral and like rampant, like they're out of control. There's control here. Probably all three. It's just what Paul needs to hear. You're not alone, I'm with you. They will attack you, but I'll protect you. They they will not harm you. I have many people here, so don't be afraid. Keep talking. Don't stop. And we know it gave Paul endurance, which is what we see here, that God provides endurance for his servants. It gave Paul endurance because the text says he stays a year and a half. It's the longest he's stayed anywhere. He goes, he preaches, he gets beat up, he gets imprisoned, his life's threatened, and he leaves. And the scripture never condemns him for that, by the way. It's never like and Paul was a coward and ran away. Right? It's wisdom. I could die or I could go somewhere else and tell people about Jesus. Let me just go somewhere else. Paul's done that over and over. But now God speaks up and goes, don't run this time. Keep talking. I'll protect you. Your protection isn't in fleeing. It's in staying. So Paul stays a year and a half sharing the gospel. God provides endurance for his servant. Church, perhaps today, like, you're weary, you're tired, like Paul. You're losing heart. You feel alone. You feel down. You're like, why am I even doing this? Does God even recognize that I'm here? Does he see me? Is he present? Like, I feel alone in community. I'm all by myself in this. No one's listening to me when I share the gospel, so why even keep sharing? Here comes word for you. He sees you in your weariness. He sees you in your doubt. He sees you in your fears. And he has a word of promise for you. He's with you. He's in control. Keep going. Keep going. Verse 12 through 17. Let's see God fulfill his protection. So verse 12 through 17, God provides protection for his servant. Verse 12, but when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or a vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Galileo paid no attention to any of this. It's an interesting story. Paul stays a year and a half. He continues to teach. And at some point in that year and a half process, the Jews decide to get organized with their issues, right? It's been rogue complainers here and rogue um, persecutors here. And they decide, let's get together. We've seen this already in the text of Acts where we've seen that those who have um, divisive hearts, those who want to cause trouble, those who want to oppose the gospel and oppose um, God's people, like they, they can always find what the scriptures actually called the rubble people who are on the outskirts who will join them in causing trouble. And so they gather together and cause a united front, and they come together and they take Paul, and they attack him, and they bring him to the proconsul, the Roman ruler named Galileo. He's a powerful man. He rules for a little over 10 years. 
He's known to be incredibly just, incredibly wise, a man with deep knowledge of the law, all things law. And they have an idea that if they bring Paul before him, what will happen in other cities will happen here. The proconsul will see Paul as being guilty of treason towards Rome. They'll imprison him and likely kill him. So they bring him to Galileo. They put him on trial and they accuse him. And just like Paul has done in every other case, he opens his mouth to defend himself. But this time, God interrupts him. And he interrupts him through the words of Galileo. Paul opens his mouth to defend himself, and Galileo speaks up and stops him. And Galileo says, Jews, if this was a real case, I would do something about it. But you're wasting my time with your little squibbles between yourselves. Go on your way and figure this out yourselves. Guys, what he didn't realize was taking place was God was using this decree from the proconsul of Rome to not only protect Paul in this moment, but to give a safe passageway for Paul to proclaim the gospel through the rest of his second missionary journey and all of his third missionary journey, as well as the rest of the Christians throughout the Roman province. Because they've just decreed this little issue between Jews and Christians is an issue between Jews and Christians, not Rome. So go in peace and do not bother us with this. So it appears that Paul's off the hook. And it appears that Galileo's a really good guy. I praise God for godly people in politics, right? Praise God for moral people in politics. Praise God, if we just get the right person in the right position, they'll open the door for us to do anything and everything that we want. Galileo's set up to be the hero of the story for letting Paul go and being a lover of Christians until Luke shares the next detail. He says, this is on you, deal with it yourselves. And they rush and they drag out Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, the new ruler. Remember, Crispus has been outed by now. And they bring Sosthenes, the new ruler of the synagogue, and they drag him before Crispus, or before Galileo, and instead of putting him on trial, they just beat him severely. A mob takes him out and beats him. And Galileo looks, he sees, he turns his head, and he ignores. He's not godly. He's not good. He's not moral. He's not protecting the Christians or the Jews. He just didn't want to be bothered by their squibble. Squabble? Squibble? One of those words. He's not the hero of the story. Jesus is. God is. God has made his promise to protect him. And God used the words and the decree of a wicked man, an unkind man, to actually bring forth his protection. God can use the means of anybody and anything he wishes to fulfill his promises to his people and to provide the means for his gospel to go forward. This is a story of God flexing. He's flexing over Rome and he's flexing over the Jews. And he's even flexing for Paul to gain courage and strength for the next journey he's going to go on. Verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincuri, he had his hair cut, for he was under a vow. <laughs> Glad someone laughed at that. I have every time I read it. 
And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. End of second missionary journey. Verse 23. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Begin the third missionary journey. For you ladies going through the Gospel of Mark study together, you learned in your first week of the study that Mark wrote that on Paul's third missionary journey, during Paul's third missionary journey. That's what we're entering into here in the text was the time that would have been written for you. So Paul stays longer after Galileo frees him and then decides to take leave and leave Corinth. He takes with him his new friends, Priscilla and Aquila. They travel with him. They eventually risk their lives for him. And they go about their journey and they get to Sincrea and Paul cuts his hair, which is a really random fact, it appears at first glance. You're like, oh, scriptures care about hygiene. All right, it's great. You know, get your hair cut. I noticed Tyler had a haircut this week, high and tight, you know, looking good. Paul got his haircut too, but, but there's more. He did, it's not just, hey, let me tell you about Paul. I'm running out of stuff to share, so let me just tell you, Paul also got a haircut on the road. Um, it says he got his haircut for he was keeping a vow, which is really important to this text. Likely, it's his Nazarite vow, a vow that he had made to the Lord and to his people. It's a Jewish custom, a Jewish vow, where you would let your hair grow out. You wouldn't cut it until your vow was complete. And then when the vow was complete, you would have it shaved off and you would take your hair to the temple, make it as a sacrifice. And Paul appears to be doing this here. And one of the important things with this in this text is it actually shows us that, remember back up when the Jews were reviling and opposing him, and he dusted off his clothes, and he said, your blood's on your hands, I'm going to the Gentiles. What this tells us is Paul wasn't just completely done with the Jews. He wasn't like, forget you. Like, if you want to cause trouble, all of you can go to hell, right, literally. And Paul wasn't doing that. Paul was, he still loved his people and loved his customs and the culture, and he still kept his vow that he had made. Right? Jesus is still for the Jews here. His gospel is still for them. So Paul wasn't just completely done with someone. He's still walking in faithfulness to that but now there's a focus on the Gentiles with his gospel. And then it says Paul goes. He goes from one city to the next. He stops in Ephesus. He begins to teach and reason. And in Ephesus, there's a lot of, there's a lot of feedback. In Ephesus, there's a lot, of, a lot of fruit. The gospel starts taking root. And you're like, all right, Paul should stay here and keep going because it looks like it's going good. And again, you see Paul's trust of God's sovereignty on the mission that in the midst of these things going well, he goes, God wants me to go on. And he packs up and he leaves and he tells them, I'll come back if the Lord wills. So often it's easy for us when we get in a place to share the gospel, it's really hard for us to separate ourselves from God's sovereignty in the midst of them responding. And we take the burden upon ourselves that, you know, we, we have to get them to believe. We can't leave them. What if I do walk away? What if the Lord moves me someplace else? What if life changes and I leave that job? What about them? I can't leave this because of them. Paul walks in freedom of that because he walks in trust of God's control. And he goes, God's taking me from Ephesus. I trust God with Ephesus. And 
if he wants to bring me back, he will. And church, next week he'll bring him back, right? Like next week for us in the text, he'll bring him back. And he comes back to Ephesus, and what happens in Ephesus is remarkable. God provides opportunities for his servants. It's our last point. He provides opportunities for his servants to declare, to display the gospel. And our responsibility is to be faithful with those opportunities, to declare Jesus, to display Jesus, to speak to the resurrected Jesus to people, to pray and to walk away and let, let God do his work in their lives. If the Lord wills, we get to do it again with him. If the Lord doesn't, we trust him with them. Right? The Lord provides the opportunities for his servants. So what do we do with a text like this? Because again, what we find ourselves with is a narrative story that actually doesn't necessarily tell us to do anything. What do we do? What do we believe? What do we, what do we take from this? I think there's a lot, but I, I want to just simplify it to this. I think we find comfort and encouragement in this. Comfort and encouragement that builds endurance. Comfort in the fact that Paul, Paul, the Apostle Paul, who to this point has looked otherworldly, if you will, it's like pretty superhero-esque in his faith, boldness and strength and in people's faces and calling them names at times and being beaten and in prison singing and Paul's doing all kinds of like courageous things. Paul's apparently afraid. He needs some help. He needs some encouragement. Because I talk to church members at our church all the time who are just, you're struggling with the fact that you're struggling. Right? It's like, I'm discouraged because I'm discouraged. I'm beat up because I feel beat up. I, I'm losing faith because I don't see faith. I'm doubting my salvation because I don't feel joy right now. Paul needs the encouragement because there's moments of weariness, tiredness, fear in his life. So do we. If the psalmist will write, return to me the joy of my salvation, right? It's probably a prayer we need to pray sometimes. Your toil that we sing about is a toil that the redeemed have toiled with from the beginning of time. You are not the exception to the toil. Walking in faith is a struggle. And sometimes we need a word from God to simply encourage us, to strengthen us, to give us endurance. We need God to go, I see you, I'm with you, I'll protect you, I won't leave you. There's many people here who are mine. Keep going. So we receive the encouragement and comfort from that, and it builds endurance in us. And we go out of here today, and we tell people about Jesus. And we go out of here today, and we trust God's sovereignty, and we trust his protection. We go out of here today, and like we've sung about in every song, and we will in the next one, we don't fear. We walk out in courage. Guess what? When we do fear, because we will again, we take encouragement from the Lord. He's with us. Welcome to the toil of being a follower of Christ. Let's toil well. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I thank you for your word of encouragement and strength to us today. Man, I know I needed it this week. So thank you for it for me, and I thank you for it for your people. 
you are good to give it to us. We pray today that you would strengthen our, our hearts and our minds for the task ahead of sharing the gospel, the task ahead of loving people as Jesus loved them. Grow us in our trust of you. Grow us in our belief of your protection. Grow us in our security and your sovereignty over our days and our lives. Father, as we go out and we preach the gospel, may we see many believe. Thank you for your faithfulness in your name. Amen.